Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Welcome back. We've had a few days off here. Joining me off the disabled list is my co-host, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, since the Texans took Sunday off, I figured we should take the sun- Sunday off, right? Well, I guess that was a good plan, although I would have much rather taken a Sunday off to actually enjoy it instead of being on the disabled list, as you put it, sick with uh, not being able to talk and uh, coughing and sneezing. Kind of uh, basically just reminiscent of the way the Texans played. Uh, the Rockets, they, they blew a game and they almost lost to the Cavaliers. Uh, the Astros will not have Garrett Cole. I mean, all in all, you know, this is supposed to be the holidays where there's a joy and happiness. But boy, in Houston sports, it's just been one of those weeks that, uh, well, frankly, just sucked. <laughs> I was just going to pretend that Sunday didn't happen and just go back to the Patriots game. We, you want to talk about that for the next 30 minutes? Just go back to the pa- Patriots game. <laughs> yeah, we could go back to the Patriots game and, and maybe even talk about uh, did the Patriots cheat again? You know, and maybe, uh, you know, throw the Astros cheating on the back burner. Yeah, that that would be so much more preferable to uh, the Texans game this past Sunday. But, you know, Robert, I'll be honest. I, I It didn't surprise me so much that the Texans had a letdown. I kind of expected that. But what I didn't expect is the manner in which they lost to a team that, quite frankly, they should have beaten. I mean, the score was 38 to 24, but believe me, it was not indicative of the way the game turned out. I mean, the Texans were just absolutely flat isn't even the word, I don't think, to describe it. The players kind of admitted it, didn't they? They just kind of said, well, hey, we uh, we 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 just kind of didn't show up. We weren't ready. We took it a little bit too light. I mean, it uh, it's unusual, but, you know, for NFL players to do that, but they, they more or less admitted it. And look, I don't understand that either, Robert. Look, this is what what makes this loss so inexcusable, aside from the fact that the Broncos were four and eight and the Texans were eight and four. I mean, never mind that the Broncos are, you know, supposedly, yeah, they're four and eight, but they're a good four and eight. Look, your record usually ends up what it what it's supposed to be. If you're four and eight, you're four and eight. If you're eight and four, you should be able to beat this team. What makes it so inexcusable, Robert, is this isn't the first time the Texans have had this happen. I mean, they when they've had a big win, like they did against the Chiefs, like they did against the Chargers, even when they lost to the Saints, it was still a, a well-played game. You could kind of have a moral victory. But each time, the Texans have taken two steps back with a loss to a team that they should have beaten. I mean, there's just no read. They, they did beat Jacksonville after the New Orleans game, but they clearly did not play well. But how many times are they going to do this? I mean, if they do this one more time, they could see the AFC South and maybe even the playoffs totally slip out of their hands. You know, it's like we, we did have the argument, remember, for years that, well, the Texans, they beat up on the crappy teams, but they can't beat the good teams. Well, now they beat, they're playing well against the good teams, but they're not showing up against the crappy teams. It's really weird. Well, it's weird and it's so frustrating. Maybe it, you almost wish that maybe the Texans schedule had been even tougher than we thought it was going to be when the season started, that if they just played elite teams, you know, maybe they'd go... 12 and 4 and 13 and 3 because they they certainly seem to rise to the occasion but listen you know not every game really there are no easy games quote unquote in professional sports but when you come up against teams that are clearly inferior to you look the elite teams win those games and until the Texans prove 
that they can be consistent, you know, week in and week out with maybe an occasional stumble because everybody does that. But until they prove that, in my mind, they are not an elite team. They may be a playoff team. They may still make the playoffs. They may even still win the division. But are they going to go deep in the playoffs? Well, yeah, they still could. But you've got to win those types of games because, look, that can be the difference between home field advantage, having the best record in the AFC. So many things can come into play that could help you once the postseason gets here. It's just absolutely frustrating. The Patriots look like a team that's very beatable again against the Chiefs. So it's interesting because the Texans now, we talked about, well, maybe they get this two seed. Well, that's not going to happen. But uh, you're going to get a three or four seed. You're going to win the first round. And hopefully, again, I'm going to say hopefully, believe it or not, they play the Patriots in that second game. If you can beat potentially the Steelers and Bills, assuming you get the job done in the, in the next three weeks against the Titans twice in Tampa. And there's you shouldn't assume that. I mean, obviously the Titans, like you've heard over and over again, they're playing very, very well. And, and, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing pretty good right now too. Although no Mike Evans now for them, maybe Jameis's hands a little bit banged up. We're, we'll see that in a couple of weeks. But, you know, that's what you look at. Um, I, I did notice a John McClain tweet after the game where he got a, a, a text of some sort from a friend of his that said, we left the game with Broncos up 31 to three, saw a Texans fan throw his jersey in the street then proceed to rip the Texans flag off his car, both Texans flags off his car, and throw them on the street. The last I saw, he was trying to peel the Texans decals off his windshields. <laughs> well, that's a bit extreme. I mean, come on. The, 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 you know, as frustrating as this loss is, frustrating as the Baltimore loss was, and then, you know, the other three before that, the Texans are still in the playoff hunt. Now, uh, having the chance to play the Patriots again doesn't really make me feel much better because— don't forget, the Patriots have had seasons like this before, but then when the postseason gets here, they become the elite Patriots again. And if the Texans do play them again, it'll probably be in Foxborough where, yeah, the Chiefs were able to beat them there, but I don't know if the Texans can do it again. I mean, I just they would have to really show me something in the next three weeks before I'm going to sit there and say, yeah, maybe they have a chance to to beat teams like the Patriots again, especially if they have to do it on the road. But they are still in the playoff hunt. They are still in the division hunt. So I don't think we need to jump off the bandwagon just yet. I don't think the Patriots are a gimme. I just feel like that's who you want to face in the playoffs. And unlike past years, they have a chance. And there's no Gronk rolling through that door. They're, they're not going to come up with this receiver that's going to get open all of a sudden. And there's no two ways about it. I mean, Tom Brady is not playing well. We, we've seen the Patriots... You know, yeah, they, they've had seasons where they, they had their moments or whatever. But usually this time of the year, the Patriots are rolling and, and usually they've got some talent to throw to for Tom Brady. And, and the Texans at least did what they should have done that game. I, let me get to Romeo because his game plan was great against the Patriots, but he stunk equally bad against the Broncos. What I didn't understand, Drew Locke starting his first NFL road game. I watched him stick at NRG Stadium two years ago in a bowl game against Texas. Uh, Longhorn team you're very familiar with. Uh, they weren't great to begin with, but they also had every good future draft pick sitting out so they wouldn't get hurt. So, Stephen, they should have been mixing up all kinds of blitz packages early in that game against somebody like Drew Locke. 
And why in the world are they rotating Bradley Roby in and out of the game? That I, I There was just no excuse for that. Yeah, I know Bill O'Brien was asked that very question in the press conference. And, of course, you know, he came up with the usual coach speak as, you know, they, they had a lot of guys to choose from and they were just rotating in and out, but didn't really have a great explanation for that. I was a little surprised of it myself, especially the way Roby played the week before. And, you know, quite frankly, I, I thought the Texans would – use more blitzing packages and, and rushes the way they did because they, they certainly frustrated Tom Brady with that kind of pass rush. But, wow, it was it was non-existent against the Broncos. It was, it was like a totally different game plan. And I understand, you know, every quarterback has different nuances and you, you have to prepare for each quarterback a different way. But, honestly, it looked like the Texans just had no defensive game plan for Drew Locke, and he was only playing his second game. Yet they were able to master Tom Brady finally, you know, a veteran Super Bowl winning quarterback. It, it just it it was a real head scratcher for me in so many ways last Sunday. Then you look at the second half and, and I heard Bill O'Brien in the press conference sort of say, oh, the offense wasn't so bad when when he was getting questioned about the offense, you know, looking at the complete numbers. But honestly, I mean, this is the kind of crap that I, I can't stand. So the second half, they're down whatever, 38 to three at one point. So of course the Broncos are going to be in more or less a prevent defense. The Texans, you know, not taking any advantage of, hey, let's no huddle. Let's move the game quickly. If we're going to come back, that's our only hope. Uh, let's use timeouts on defense. Let's not save timeouts for uh, the next game like he always does. And so instead, um, it looked like, and let's be fair about this. It looked like the Texans were just trying to make it close. So everybody at the end of the day, well, it wasn't that bad. And they did, oh, they came back in the second half and it was only 38 to 24. It, it wasn't close. It wasn't a close game. I don't care how OB wants to spin it. The offense looked bad just because you put 24 points on the board and you put some numbers up in the second half. It, it doesn't matter when a team's playing prevent defense. Like I saw this a zillion times with Matt Schaub and, and, and Gary Kubiak in, the, in those years, the, the, you can rack up those yards. You, you can come back in games and make it look respectable, but I'm sorry, you, you don't get credit for that in the bigger scoreboard. And, and to me, it's just all that is is like Bill O'Brien trying to make his li- job look a little bit better. No, at the end of the day, a loss is still a loss. You know, if they had come back and made it, I don't know, 38 to 37, oh, we, we might have taken notice. But they're still 8 and 5, and – the thing is, Robert, is the Texans, I, I saw a stat the other day, that the Texans are next to last in the NFL in points scored in the first period, in the first quarter, 30. The only other team that's worse is the Redskins. And, you know, you, you can't continue to get off to these lousy starts in the first quarter, whether it's against an elite team or against a so-so 4-8 and eight team like the Broncos. You can't continue to do that and expect – to win every game. And this has plagued the Texans over and over and over again. And not only that, they they continue to stink it up in the second quarter. They end up being down, what, 31 to three at the half and then 38 to three in the third quarter. But these these first quarter starts, you you just can't continue to do that. If, if you're going to be an elite team and go deep in the playoffs, especially when you get in the postseason, you sure can't afford to, to get off to a slow start. So the Texans have to find a way to start playing better in the first period and then taking that momentum into the second, third, and fourth. Can't agree with you more on that one. And, and new rule for the Texans, by the way, no 
guitar celebrations when you're down by 28 <laughs> points. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty messed up, isn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. And and Will Fuller, I mean, he's a big deal. I mean, Will Fuller's hamstring couldn't make it. Did you feel like he was kind of holding out Will Fuller because he didn't respect the Broncos and we need him the following week against the Titans and the Titans in two out of three weeks? Well, I almost wondered about that when I saw that he was a scratch before the game. I thought, yeah, wait, now are you, are you thinking that you're not going to need him? Well, I, I don't think even Will Fuller being in there would have made a difference as far as the Texans winning the game. They might have made it more respectable, but you know, they're, they're still kind of hush-hush on whether he's going to play against the Titans. But I don't know, considering his health history, it, it's just it's not far-fetched if he really did re-injure it and they're just trying to be quiet about it. I, but yeah, that thought did cross my mind before the Broncos game began is maybe they're just holding him out to make sure he's healthy against the Titans. So we'll just have to wait and see. Do you think they're targeting Laramie Tunsil, the officiating? I mean, the two false starts, it's it's not my fault. It's not my It's the opposite of the old Robin Williams and Goodwill. It's not my fault. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, when I first heard that, that's kind of what I thought. Now, if Laramie Tunsil is saying that the other teams are going to the referees before the game and saying, hey, watch, he's doing this, he's doing that, that's not unusual. Teams do that all the time. So that could be the case. But the fact is, is that if it's getting into his head, that that's really what the problem is. And if you're going to try to change your style, I guess it's easier for one individual player on the offensive line to kind of change things up a little bit than for the whole offensive line to change up just because of Laramie Tunsil. But if that's what he's talking about as far as the target on his back, well, that makes sense. But at the end of the day, He's had way too many, and you can't make those kind of excuses. It, it just it needs to be fixed. And as he did say, I just need to fix it, which he certainly does, because it is starting to cost uh, the team in different drives, and uh, you know, just they they come at the worst possible time. So, it you know, though you can say that he has solidified the left tackle spot in so many ways. Uh, he's still hurting the team with those penalties. The Texans got the monkey off their back with the Patriots win. That's something that we haven't seen them do before with, with the monkey off their back. Also with the Chiefs win in Kansas City. So that was good. They can't seem to beat the Titans in recent years in Tennessee this week. They've got to do it because if they can win this game, they have a 90% chance of winning the division with the win on Sunday, while the Titans improved their chances to 52%. So the Texans still are okay, but they're not that great. I mean, they, if they if they can win, they can close it out. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. And if there's one thing that we can certainly hang our hats on if you're a Texans fan, the Texans do seem to bounce back better after a loss than they do play better after a big win. So I guess, you know, if you want this pattern of you have – Two wins, a loss. Two wins, a loss. Two wins, and a loss. Well, they're coming off a loss, so maybe they can at least get a win against the Titans on the road, which would certainly be a big win uh, and give them a leg up in the division. So, you know, if you're looking for some for some positives, I, I guess that would be one to certainly hold on to coming into this game. If they get the two wins and a loss, they, they pretty much win the division, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. So if you win two out of three, especially if you win Tennessee twice, I mean, that, that would really help you, but... Yeah, two out of three should get you the division. Well, if they get that, I'm saying, like they're doing the pattern. They win two, yeah, they lose the, one. 
that's it. They they would certainly do that. But you know, I I wouldn't mind being greedy and just having all three and have some momentum going into the postseason and start looking more consistent. But you know, you take what you can get in the NFL. The Rockets, uh, you mentioned the Sacramento Kings game. You mentioned the Cavs game. We, we can talk a little bit more about that in a second. But th- they lost their protest of the Spurs game uh, from last week, even though the NBA admitted they screwed up. Adam Silver basically said they shouldn't have blown this huge lead. <laughs> That's what the league office said, quote, they had sufficient time to overcome the error during the remainder of the fourth quarter and two overtimes, unquote. So, Stephen, the NBA apparently just said the first 40 minutes of an NBA game don't count. It's great at the league to finally admit this is the way it is, right? <laughs> well, I get you know, I mean, as much as I hate to say it, Robert, they're right. I mean, the Rockets shouldn't have blown that lead. If they hadn't, they would have won the game and the protests would have been moot. If it had just come, I mean, if it had been a close game all the way through, and then when that dunk happened, then I, I'd say the Rockets would certainly have a case. But they shouldn't have blown the lead. I mean, it's it's as simple as that. I'm I'm amazed that the NBA put it that way. <laughs> but, you know, I hate to say it, but I have to agree on this one. I mean, they should have gotten it right in the first place. That kind of goes back to what I said in the previous podcast is they had ample time to look at that replay and get it right. And they failed to do it. So they did screw up there. But as far as losing the protest, didn't really surprise me at all. The, the Rockets just should have won the game, period, even without the dunk. Well, the fact is, though, I mean, let's play, let me play devil's advocate. The score's tied at the end of the game. So you could say, well, the Rockets shouldn't have blown the lead. Well, how about the Spurs? Uh, yeah, you should have been down by a big lead. So the game wouldn't have been tied at the end of You know, I, the bottom line is the game's tied, and there were two points that should have been on the board that weren't on the board. I mean, okay, you could say, well, the Spurs would have played the last few minutes differently. They would have been just as urgently played because they had to catch up. They had to get every point as quickly as possible. And they were trying to win the game at the end. So you're trying to get the two points at the end of the game. If you're the Spurs to win the game. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what you do there. Uh, but to me, it's like, yeah, the, but the two points should have been there. Just like, you know, I said it at the time, just like when you shoot a three pointer and the officials go back and they look, Oh, well, his foot was on the line. So we got to take away a point. I I guess Stephen. I mean, it. This okay. Let me let me just say this. Okay, I mean, with the Spurs protest, I I listened to a lot of hate thrown out at the Rockets and James Harden from national NBA writers. Stephen, I don't know if you're listening to the, the other podcasts, if you're listening to the articles or, or reading the articles or whatever. But you know, not it's just, not, I'm not just talking about your idiot talking heads on ESPN and Fox, and and you know who we're talking about when I say that. Right, but but right. Stephen, you, you've heard my takes enough to know that I'm fair when it comes to criticizing the Rockets and Harden, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel the same way. But honestly, I'm, I'm just getting so tired of the hardened haters. I mean, they're, they they look for a reason to hate the guy, even when he does something great. And then when something like this happens and, it, and something goes against him, then they're just going to be out in mass. So honestly, I, I've just started to ignore the haters because, look, you, you know, until James Harden wins a championship, like it or not, he's going to I mean, talk about somebody having a target on their back. He certainly got one on his for different reasons. So I, I just, I get to where I don't even pay attention to the haters anymore because it, it just, it, it never ends. Whether he does something good, whether he does something bad, whether he just has an average night, they're going to be out there. Yeah. Let me be clear. I'm not one of these guys that I'm not your rockets Twitter that says the national guys are, are always against us. And I'm just not, but it feels like the scales have tipped and, and I did a little rant on Twitter about it. I've got some points to make. Are you ready for this, Steve? I'm going to, I'm going to give you some points that just kind of, 
blow a hole in everything that the national people say. All right, throw them at me. I'm ready. All right, number one, the national conversation is we hate Harden because we don't like his style, i.e. he's always trying to draw fouls. Well, my response is the NBA has a long history of players who embellish fouls. Uh, guys like Manu Ginobili and Carl Malone who are deified by your national journalists. Fair? I mean, I, I think that's yeah, fair. Absolutely. Uh, national conversation is Harden. Stat- this is number two. Harden's stats are fake. Or his style is boring because he goes to the foul line. Well, my response, his high for free throws attempted in a season is 24th on the all-time list. Like, in other words, Harden's best year, as far as most free throws he's ever shot, is number 24. You would never hear that from national broadcasters, from national NBA writers, the New York Times, Boston Globe, people, whoever. The list of players who've had one or more season with more free throws attempted, Wilt Chamberlain, Michael Jordan, Jerry West, Shaq, Barkley, David Robinson, Moses Malone, Adrian Dantley, Bob Pettit. Steven, are we trashing those players? Yeah, well, I, I don't hear any criticism about Will Chamberlain and how many times he went to the foul. I mean, look, you still have to make those free throws once you get there. And the fact is, James Harden is making those free throws. I mean, he's one of the better free throw shooters in the league. So, you know, whatever it takes to help you get there. Um I, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't understand that fact either. Number three, the national conversation says the Rockets complain too much about officiating. So you mean I'm not watching every NBA player constantly turning to the ref? Oh, how many, we could, we could lose count of the many players that complain about having fouls called on them or, or just NBA officiating in general. I mean, you can't do it too much publicly because you get fined, but come on, Harden is by far or the Rockets are not the only team by far that complain about officiating. And and I'm just not talking about individual in-game stuff. Oh, the Rockets, they're they're sending stuff to the league. Okay, so the Lakers never complained to the NBA office about how Shaq was officiated? What? Oh, you know they did. You know they did. And listen, you know what? Some of those same national media people, they complained about NBA officiating. So, you know, just shut up already. Number four, the national conversation says the Rockets ruined the game by launching threes. So my response is 16 or 18 footers are more exciting than 24 footers. Or before the Rockets screwed the game, we had millions of great post players. Or the Rockets shouldn't have figured out how to score the most points. I mean, what are we talking about here? Well, now, I mean, in in this situation, I, I do maintain the Rockets. I think they sometimes rely too much on the three-point shot. But that's, as far as I'm concerned, that ruins them as a team when you get only so far in the playoffs and you can't win a championship that way. That's on the Rockets. Uh, as for it ruining the league, I don't see how. I mean, the Golden State Warriors, they've been known to put up threes. They just don't. They also know how to do, they, they know how to win in other ways. But I wouldn't say that the Rockets have been a quote-unquote game changer in saying that everybody in the league all of a sudden is going to go to just jacking up, you know, 50, 63s a game. So, no, I don't think they're ruining the league. I just think I, – I think I sometimes think they ruin their chances as a team to win a championship by relying too much on that style. Last point, number five, the national conversation says, look, the Rockets' iso ball is boring. And my response is, so the Rockets 
shouldn't take advantage of the greatest ISO player in NBA history. Uh, oh, wait, everybody hated Michael Jordan when he went one-on-one, didn't you? That's why he had all those commercials, Stephen, because everybody hated his style of taking dudes off the dribble. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I don't I don't like to get into the James Harden-Michael Jordan comparisons because I know that, you know, there's another debate there where they're going to trash Harden. So, but again, I think it's just another question of that the, these guys are just looking for ways to criticize a player who is great and a team who is great. You know, if the Rockets were a mediocre or lousy team, then we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But when you become a good team or even a great team, uh, people are always going to look for ways to hate you. I mean, there there are haters for the Golden State Warriors. There were haters for the bad boy Pistons, the Lakers, the Celtics back in the day. So, the Rockets, you know, Houston fans, they aren't really used to this sort of thing, I think. That's part of it. But a lot of this, as you pointed out, is just totally unmerited. And I've always been the first guy to say James needs to do better in big situations against the best teams late in playoffs. I mean, there is that issue. But what he does in the regular season, to me, is unassailable. That 55 that he puts up against Cleveland – Last night, you know, as you and I are talking, we, we saw this game last night. He puts up 55, shot five free throws, five free throws. That was it. I was going to say, you know, I was going to point out when you were talking about the free throws, if you look at the Cleveland game, he hardly went to the free throw line. I mean, he scored a lot of those 55 points on threes. I mean, he had a good shooting night. Now, yes, there are nights where his shooting percentage may be lower. He's putting up a lot more shots and he's going to the free throw line. But he's still getting his points. But that Cleveland game is certainly one you can point to and say, man, he hardly put up any free throws. I just don't know how you can watch him night in and night out and look at what he's doing against the best defenses. I mean, getting double team a lot of times. Guys are coming at him from all different angles. Uh, He's making shots with a guy in his face, uh, leaning towards his direction. He's, He's 23 and 25 and 27 feet from the basket. I mean, these shots that he's making are incredibly difficult shots. I'm watching this going, I don't know if I could throw the ball to the basket from that distance and hit the rim. And this guy is making shots with a guy draped all over him, falling away from the basket, doing it 40 minutes a game, legs tired late in games. Uh, He did it again in the fourth quarter against Cleveland. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Well, yeah, it's not as if, Teams are just pulling back and letting him stand there and jack up shot after shot after shot. I mean, he's being double teamed. And even when he's being single teamed, as you point out, when somebody's draped all over him. I guess the only thing we can point to, Robert, as a positive is maybe James Harden is going to be one of those players where it's going to be 10, 15, 20 years after his career is over. And you can look back and say, you know, we really didn't appreciate enough what James Harden did, not only for the Rockets, but for the NBA and how exciting he was. And again, you have to hope that if he could just win a championship, well, that's a big monkey off your back there. You can just, you know, have all the haters you want, but Hey, he got his title. Yeah. uh, The, the last thing I have on the Rockets, and if you've got any thoughts on just uh, the last few games, uh, go ahead. But one thing that I I saw that the top two man combo in the NBA, this is minimum of 500 possessions, so, uh, you know, you have to be out on the floor quite a bit to be in this group. The top two-man combo is James Harden and Ben McLemore. This is just prior to the Cavs game I saw this stat. What do I mean? That means the Rockets are 20, a plus 23.1 
with the two of them together on the floor. To me, it's time that Macklemore becomes a starter. I, I was all about House early in the season, but I don't think he gets better or worse if he's a starter or if he's on the bench, if he plays with Harden, if he doesn't play with Harden. Not super impressed with his defense in the last few games either. Just a mediocre defender at this point, Steven. So it's not a must to get him 35 minutes a game and make him a starter. I just think Ben works really well with James. And why not take advantage? I mean, we're, this is a stat analytic team. Let's get Ben McLemore as a starter. Well, that may be something that you will see as time goes on. As House, I mean, he's proven that he can be good in, in spots. But he hasn't shown the kind of consistency that I think the Rockets are going to need down the stretch of the NBA season. And listen, Ben McLemore has really made – I mean, he can come in a game and – Throws, get some three-point shots like nobody's business. I mean, when he's shooting, he is on. So, yeah, I have to agree with you. I, I would like to see more and more from him. And if he continues that, he very well could see more of that and maybe a little bit less of Daniel House and some of those guys. I like House as far as the size goes with defense, but McLemore and House are pretty equivalent right now, the way they're playing defensively. And I, I'm just not happy. House has been able to... Uh, he, he, he's getting worked a little bit on the defensive end. Uh, you want to talk some, uh, baseball? Cause there's a lot going on over there too. Yeah, there is a lot going on in baseball. And of course, uh, you know, the Astros, uh, continue to make news in the off season. Most of it, not very good, but I think as far as the Garrett Cole thing, which I'm sure you want to talk about first and foremost, not really that surprising to me that the Astros didn't hold on to him. I, I actually picked. Well, no surprise num- that they didn't hold on to him. The, the, the surprise, I think, for a lot of people was that the Yankees went back to spending a ton of money and the Yankees outbid, I guess they outbid the Angels or Garrett Cole wanted to go there more than he wanted to go to uh, California. I mean, he was a fan as a Yankee or a Yankee fan as a kid, I should say. And, and he, he, he grew up near California, Angel territory, but also... Uh, he was a Yankee fan, so I think it is a little bit of a surprise that he went to the Yankees. The money's not a surprise. Uh, the fact that he left the Astros was literally no, because they weren't even trying to bid on him. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's going to be a lot more difficult now for the Astros to win because that's the team that you're trying to beat. They've got all the bullets uh, that can that can go up against the the Astros. Almost lost to them this time around. So. You know, it, it's going to be much, much tougher. And Anthony Rendon goes to the Angels. So they, they didn't get Garrett Cole, but they did get Anthony Rendon. So that's a guy that kills the Astros. It, it just got a lot, lot harder over the last Oh, week. it absolutely did. And let, listen, I, what I really think did the deal is that Brian Cashman just did the sell job of the century. I mean, he got he got criticized, of course, in the trade deadline for not making the big trade. But you got to hand it to him. I mean, he had Andy Pettit with him. He had several other people that went to California and visited Garrett Cole. And you know that Brian Cashman pulled out all the stops to sell Garrett Cole to come to the Yankees. And think about it. The Yankees, they've, the Astros have become the team that the Yankees hate because the Astros have beaten the Yankees over and over and over again, whether it's in the wild card game, in the ALCS, regardless. That is the team that the Yankees are shooting for. It's the Astros. So, of course, they're going to pull out all the stops to try to get Garrett Cole. And, you know, lo and behold, there it is. The only thing that surprised me about the deal, Robert, was just the length of the years, nine years. I mean, that is a lot to give a pitcher that you have to hope that 
yes, Garrett Cole's been a great pitcher, but he's one injury away or one bad season away or whatever. You know, that's that's a long time. I mean, he can opt out after five years, but that's still a pretty long deal. Yeah, I'm not in on the Astros, you know, doing a deal like that. It just doesn't seem like it's a good idea. Too many things can go wrong, especially if you're a, you know, a medium sized market, not a major market like the Astros in Houston is. But I I feel like, yeah, even though the Astros couldn't do a deal like that, even though I don't think it's that good, it gives the Yankees a pretty good shot to win the World Series the next couple of years. And it it takes down the Astros' chances of winning the World Series the next couple of years. And and this is their, this is kind of, we're closing in on the end of the window because Verlander and Zach Granke, you know, you don't have them forever and they're, they're not ageless. Well, the biggest thing for the Astros, as far as I'm concerned, is, Again, the biggest loss really is, I mean, if you had Garrett Cole back in there and Verlander, you've got your two Cy Young candidates going. Well, now you have Verlander and you have Grinky, and then you have a bunch of question marks. You don't know how Lance McCullers is going to do when he comes back. You know, typically it takes a pitcher at least a year to come back from that kind of surgery before he's really effective. So you have that. And then you have a bunch of other question marks, and I'm sure they're going to try to sign somebody as a free agent. Uh, third, fourth, fifth starter, what have you. Jose Arquiti is going to be in the mix, you know, but but you don't know. And and quite honestly, if, if you really want to be blunt about it, you could even say that Justin Verlander and Zach Greinke are question marks. I mean, yes, Verlander had a great season, but and, and yes, he does train himself very well, and he still could pitch several more years and have a good status, but you don't know that. And with Zach Greinke, you know, has he been worth the $32 million that that he's getting? I, You know, in some ways he has, in some ways he hasn't. But as far as consistency goes, you'd like to see more out of Grinky. So really, the Astros have a lot of question marks, and losing Garrett Cole was really big in that regard. Would you have done something like this? Would you have dealt Zach Grinky away and made room for Garrett Cole's salary? Would you be okay with signing Garrett Cole to that kind of contract, if you're the Astros, if you could get rid of a Zach Greinke? I don't know. I mean, I suppose if you look at it on paper, it would look better. It, it would be more appealing. But in the long run, you know, sometimes the the best transactions are the ones that aren't made. And, of course, time will tell. Is that going to be a great deal for the Yankees or is it not? But I certainly think that Garrett Cole has more of a chance to be a more of an impact pitcher than a Zach Greinke, yes. But if you say that, then you say, well, why did they get him in the first place? You know, did they look at his postseason record? Did they look at some of the other analytics that we've talked about on this podcast before they made the trade? So, you know, yeah, you could say that they could have traded him away, but then you'd say, well, why did you get him in the first place if if that's how you feel about it? The other thing you got to think about if you're the Astros is Garrett Cole was getting you into the seventh inning a lot of games. And Zach Greinke, as an Astro wasn't doing it as much as Garrett Cole. He needs to start getting to that seventh inning so you can take the pressure off the bullpen, take some of the arms and the innings, uh, the the arm, I guess, fatigue and the innings of the bullpen. But the big concern is, you know, you, you've got to re-sign some of these bullpen guys because you're not going to have as many innings from the starters this year as you, as you had uh, last year. It doesn't seem like. I mean, you're not getting a lot of... You know, you're not getting a lot of innings from Lance McCullers. You're not going to get a lot of innings from Jose Arquiti. Uh, it's going to be difficult. So 
we're still waiting to find out what's going to happen with Will Harris and Joe Smith and some of those guys that uh, you can count on in the bullpen. The whole house of cards could start falling if you don't bring back some of these guys in the bullpen or find somebody that can give you 200 innings and get you into the seventh inning. And those guys aren't hard to find. I mean, what, what Wade Miley was doing, we can trash him for September and October, but what he was doing the other few months of the year was saving your bullpen. Well, that's exactly right. And and it's funny how one player, one pitcher, or one acquisition or one non-acquisition can start a domino effect and start affecting other areas of the team. And in this case, with Garrett Cole leaving, yeah, you really have Justin Verlander that can go deep into games, and you can only hope that he can continue to do that because he has pitched a lot of innings, certainly this past season, the season before. The guy is human, and you just have to hope and pray that he can still maintain that throughout a season that is is probably you're not going to have a lot of starters going deep. Do you remember when a lot of people were kind of trashing me on Twitter about Carlos Correa and you, you might have to <laughs> trade him? I was wondering when you were going to get to that because we did talk about that on this podcast, and I know you brought that up several months ago. And then you look at Ken Th- uh, Rosenthal's report that the Astros may be considering trading Carlos Correa. Now, if you believe Jeff Luno, he's told Carlos Correa, go on your honeymoon, enjoy your honeymoon. Don't worry about it. You're still an Astro. Okay. Okay. You are still an Astro. Isn't that what but, Jeff Luno said to Chris Paul? Everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I think that was Daryl Moore you're talking about. But yeah, the, the same holds true. You are still an Astro. Now, next week, week after, uh, you know, during the season of the trade deadline, you may not be. But really, if you think about it, if if the Astros are looking to dump salary, which they obviously did with the Jake Marisnik trade, um, trading Carlos Correa is really not that far-fetched a notion, especially when you think about what they could still get for him, as young as he is. Yeah, I know his health's a question mark, but he's still young, and he's still productive when he's in there. If if they could even get a a middle starting pitcher, maybe a young prospect, because their farm system isn't exactly flowing with great prospects with all the trades they've made. Why wouldn't you do a deal like that, especially if you are thinking right now, if you're the Astros, that you're not going to sign Carlos Correa when his contract is up or even right before to the type of deal that you might sign a George Springer or that you did sign an Alex Bregman, a Jose Altuve. If you're not going to do that, why not be smart about it, which the Texans were not with the Jadavian Clowney trade, Trade him now and get something now while you can. Can you stick Josh Reddick in that trade and take some more money off your salary and maybe reallocate that money? I mean, you might not need it if you get rid of Carlos Correa and whatever money that he's going to be making this coming season, but you could use that Josh Reddick and Reddick, like what is it, $13 million? You could use that for, like I said, Joe Smith, Will Harris, Wade Miley, those type of, you know, they they start to add up. Those, those little contracts that you could do to add up to that $13 million could really help you out. Well, if you're going to trade Josh Reddick, yeah, it would have to be in some kind of a package deal. I mean, you're not going to trade straight up at Josh Reddick. Nobody's going to take that salary with his age and the, just the type of production that he's had or hasn't had. So that's really about the only chance is whether it's in a Correa trade or another trade that you know the Astros may or may not be engineering, That that's about the only way you're going to get rid of that salary. But that would certainly help too. Let me ask you this question because I, I, I've thought about this a little bit and kind of wondering where, where you are on this. If the Astros were to trade Carlos Correa, 
Would you be more interested in getting a defensive shortstop that maybe has somewhere near the skills of Correa so you wouldn't move Bregman over from third base and Yuli from first to third? You wouldn't have to do that rotation where you know you have these exceptional defensive first baseman and an exceptional defensive third baseman, and now you could still be great on defense, but you would lose a little bit offensively? Or would you want to move Bregman to short and say Yuli over to third base and put maybe Jordan at first base. And, and, and hopefully he could work on that and be ready by the start of the season and, and get better as the season get got. You know, remember, Yuli didn't start off as a great first baseman defensively either when he was uh, with the Astros. No, that's right. And he certainly has turned into one, uh, especially when it comes to scooping balls out of the dirt and things like that. You know, that's a great argument if you're talking about defense, because I know how we have talked about how valuable Carlos Correa's defense has been, especially in the postseason when it matters the most. So, you know, I I think shortstops aren't traditionally great hitters. You know, Correa's been a good hitter and been an above-average shortstop. But even if you got a shortstop with above-average defense, depending on what you did, you know, as far as how your outfield looks and if the Astros lineup can continue to be you know, if they could shore up the catching with even a fairly decent hitting catcher, that would help too. Then you could absorb the hitting and just have a great defensive player at shortstop and give up some of that bat. Another news item, marijuana now legal in minor league baseball. Did Jonathan Singleton miss his era? <laughs> <laughs> Did a lot of players miss their era? Yeah, it's a trend I guess we're heading toward. I'm I'm surprised, frankly, that the NBA didn't wasn't the first league to do that, you know, with with the high marijuana use that they have certainly, and really in all sports. But yeah, with baseball being the lead, I guess in the minor leagues, I honestly I was a little bit surprised that baseball was the one to take the lead in that one. Last thing I've got, and if you want to add anything after this, uh, let me know. But I, I noticed the Houston Sports Award nominees for Athlete of the Year are out, and I'm just curious of this group of five, who is your pick to be the athlete of the year in Houston this year. They have Simone Biles, James Harden, Justin Verlander, Alex Bregman, and Deshaun Watson. Who's your athlete of the year? Oh my goodness. Boy, that that's uh I, I don't envy the committee that's gonna have to make that decision. Wow. I mean every single one of them obviously is deserving. I'll be honest, and and no, it's not because I'm hating on James Harden. But and, and even though I don't follow this sport very closely, but I know you do, Robert, I, I just think you have to look at how dominant Simone Biles has been all these years and it just continues to be. I, I have to say, with, especially with the kind of years that she had, if you're looking over the course of a year, which I think if you're giving athlete of the year, you really have to think about it. I'd almost have to say, give it to her. And if not her, certainly James Harden. I, I think one of those two is going to win it. Here's the deal. Simone Biles, I love Simone Biles, so I, I have no problem with that. And and she would actually show up and be there and have a smile on her face and would enjoy it. So I'm guessing maybe they want to give it to her just because it, it would be make it for a more interesting night. But let me just throw this out at you. In those five names, there is no Garrett Cole. If Garrett Cole was still an Astro, wouldn't he be the Houston Sports Athlete of the Year? Because 
he was better than Justin Verlander when you throw in the playoffs. I know Justin had the no hitter. He was the best Astro. I mean, I, I'm not going to count. There's nothing Deshaun Watson has done as good as he's been to be in this conversation with, you know, Verlander and James Harden and, and, and Simone Biles. So to me, I, I, I kind of think Garrett Cole is the athlete of the year. I mean, they're not going to get him back to Houston for it. So maybe that's why he's not in the conversation. But Well, I, I certainly think you're right. But who would you take out, I guess, would be the question is, which one are you going to have to sleep with? You know, you're going to have to sleep with the fact that you took one of them out. So would it be Simone Biles? Would it be Justin Verlander? I, I think it'd be one of those two I'd probably have to take out. I kind of would take out Alex Bregman. He didn't have a good playoffs. It was bad. And he, and he and that kind of left you with a sour taste. I know he's top three MVP candidate. James Harden, though, probably should have won the MVP. Or, you know, if he's, you know, if he's the second in MVP voting like he was, it should have been like by a hair. It should have been a lot closer, honestly, than it was. So, yeah, I, I might take out Bregman just because, uh, the postseason to me is a pretty big deal. And I, and I know James Harden didn't have the best postseason, but he was still pretty darn good. He took his te- carried his team more than Alex Bregman did. He carried his team to uh, Golden State and, and, and that series and, and, and was the, you know, was the person that was the best player in, in that series. Alex Bregman was not even close to the best player in the Astros postseason. I don't know where you'd put him on the list, but he's far, far down the list for me as far as the Astros postseason is concerned. Well, that that's a good point. And I guess the good thing about an award like this one, as opposed to the league awards that are handed out, I guess you can count the postseason as part of the award, you know, with the MVPs and the Cy Youngs and, you know, all of those. Those awards are handed out to the best regular season. The postseason isn't even factored in there. But with an award like uh, Houston Athlete of the Year, it's come out late enough that you can throw in all those postseasons. So that might actually make the difference. You're right. You know, 15 years ago, I, I, I just recall this because this was up on Twitter. 15 years ago, uh, Tracy McGrady had the 13 points in 33 seconds, which I think is goes right up there as one of the most, if not the most improbable thing I've ever seen in sports history. 13 points in 33 seconds. If you watch that game, which I did, uh, if you watch that game, there was no way the Rockets were going to win that game. They had scored something like 70-something points before McGrady made that run. And you're going up against the Spurs of the dominant Spurs era. The Rockets had Tracy McGrady, a lesser Yao Ming. This wasn't the Yao Ming where he started to be dominant in his last you know, two or three healthy years in the NBA. They had guys like Reese Gaines on the floor it was ridiculous what he did uh, in that singular one minute or 33 seconds or whatever. It was w- absolutely one of the most improbable things. And I put it right up there with the miracle on ice is just something that you, you cannot believe actually happened. Is, is there anything else that you would put in that category, Stephen, where you just go, this is just so improbable that this, that we saw something like this happen. And sp- we've seen a lot of stuff in sports, but, I mean, come on. Tracy McGrady, 13 points in 33 seconds against one of the best teams of all time. Uh, you know, hitting three-pointers, the three-pointer to win the game, the four-point play, everything was just ridiculous. Well, yeah, I'd have to say it would be very hard to to top that, especially when you consider that this was Tracy McGrady. I mean, this is something Michael Jordan never did that. Magic Johnson never did that. 
Larry Bird never did that. Will Chamberlain, I mean, the list goes on and on. It was Tracy McGrady, who was a very good player. But let's not forget, Tracy McGrady had a lot of the same criticisms that James Harden did. You know, he he was blamed mostly for the Rockets not getting past the first round of the playoffs year after year after year. Yet he constantly showed up and did what he was supposed to do. He, he did have some injuries that I think kind of took his career down a notch. But when you consider just the feat itself, the moment itself, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know if that's something you will ever see again, certainly not in the NBA or or anything like it in any sport. And some people might say, well, what about NC State versus U of H or Villanova versus Georgetown? There, there are those instances, but if you are good enough to get to an NCAA final in college basketball, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to beat a dominant team if you don't have maybe the talent that those other teams, but there were NBA players on NC State and Villanova. And, and, and you could have sort of that magic and you could beat a team in that one game. But it, it's just the improbability of, of 13 points at 33 seconds in the NBA. It, it's just, it's, you just don't see it. We see upsets, but it, I, I don't think it's comparable. And just a reminder for people that, you know, forget about the Miracle on Ice and, and why I bring them up. I mean, the, the Miracle on Ice, this was college players. These were basically a college all-star team thrown together over the course of six months going up against the equivalent of an NHL all-star team. The, the, the Soviets beat an NHL all-star team leading up to the Miracle on Ice two weeks or three weeks before the Miracle on Ice. They dominated them 10 to three. And, and that's basically like winning 60 to nothing in the NFL. You know, that it was that kind of domination. And nobody thought that they could. They were barely beating the other teams in that tournament. And the Soviets had won pretty much every international. I think they were nearly undefeated for the previous, what was it, like 16 years or something no, like at that? Least, yeah, at least 15, 10, 15 years. The Russians were, I mean, the Russians were the New England Patriots, the Golden State Warriors of international hockey. I mean, every time they would come to the United States, whether it was the NHL or the old World Hockey Association, they would just totally, practically dominate every team. Yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing about, it, it's hard to compare a game versus a moment like what you're talking about. But let's not forget, and I still maintain to this day, that if there had been a shot clock in college basketball, there is no way that NC State would have beaten Houston, and there is no way that Villanova would have beaten Georgetown in those NCAA finals. And you notice that after that Villanova-Georgetown upset, that's when the NCAA took a look at that, and that's when the shot clock was implemented. I don't know if it was the year after, but it, it was at least a, a very shortly after, a couple of years after that. Because a lot of what you saw is standing around, dribbling, holding the ball for two, five minutes at a stretch. That is not basketball. So, yeah, I mean, we could now it's a totally different argument, but it's it's hard to compare one game over the course of a whole game versus what thirty three seconds, as you talked about, uh, with what Tracy McGrady did. It was just incredible. And that one final note on that Miracle on Ice team, I, I saw one of the sadder things. I, I don't know if you caught this, Stephen, but this was, you know, this was really frustrating to see. It, it looks like Mark Pavel, Pavelich, I'm probably screwing up his name, but he was one of the key guys on that Miracle on Ice, Ice team. He has uh, been committed 
for for mental issues. Uh, he beat up his friend. The, the guy's like around 60 something years old right now. And he was somebody that had the assist on Mike Ruzioni's game winning goal against the Soviets in the magical Olympic run. He had one goal and six assists. He lost his wife seven years ago in a freak accident. She falls from a balcony, something bizarre like that. Five years ago, he auctioned off his Olympic gold medal for his daughter so she could have uh, you know, a, a great future. The memories, he said, meant more to him than the medal. And by all accounts, just an incredibly humble uh, guy. Never liked talking about himself, beloved by his Olympic teammates. Uh, in 2015, luckily for the first time, and forever, he basically since 1980, it was his first visit to Lake Placid. He he met up with his Olympic teammates there in a reunion that they had. And you have to think that it's CTE. I mean, this was a guy that didn't have any problems before all of this. And in hockey, you know, you, you take the hits just like in the NFL. But, uh, you know, an American hero. And, and it's just a, it's a sad conclusion to his life that this is this is where we are. But uh, uh, just wanted to give a shout out to him and. You know, that it, it, it's still, it remains, Stephen, my favorite moment in, in all of sports. Well, it's certainly, if you're talking about games, that would be very hard to top because it was just so improbable. And yeah, isn't it sad how many athletes we hear about uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 years later uh, that, uh, you know, that they had their moment in the sun, their 15 minutes of fame, uh, followed by tragedies or, or followed by difficulties. And, Hockey was a very violent game then. You know, it, it, the game of hockey has changed over the past five or ten years and continues to change. You don't see the type of body checking, the the hitting, even the fighting anymore. Um, I think I saw a fight in a St. Louis Blues game the other night, and that's probably the first hockey fight I've seen in, in quite a while. But, yeah, the, the game has changed. But back then, it was still a very violent game, so it's very possible that players like him and so many others suffered head injuries with the kind that you that you see in football. Before we close it out, what's your prediction? Are the Texans going to win this week? I think the Texans are going to win because, frankly, they have to. I, I don't think it's going to be uh, – I don't think it's going to be an easy game for them to win. It could come down to the final drive, but I'm going to go out on a limb. And I mean, it doesn't look like they can, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they're going to continue this pattern and get a win after a bad loss. If Will Fuller is back, if Will Fuller is playing, if Will Fuller's hamstring can make the bus to the stadium, I like the Texans in this one. Deshaun has got to stop doing this where he has a super bad game or a great game. You know, he needs to have a little bit more mediocre games when you just need him to have a mediocre game against a bad team like the Broncos. But Deshaun, I have to think he's going to come up big in a situation like this. Uh, so again, it, it, it's dependent on Will Fuller, but I, I like the Texans in this game because now that everybody's counted them out, they're going to show up and, and they, they, they got something to prove and they should have a chip on their shoulder at this point. So yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and pick the Texans to win the game. I mean, I'm going to say that Will Fuller is going to show up. I'm just going to say he's going to, he's going to be in the building. There's no, there's no tomorrow. So you need, you need Will Fuller on the field. Uh, he's got the entire offseason to rest. This is a, this is the most important game of the Texans' regular season anyway, so uh, you got to win this game. That's all we got for this one, though. We're, we're look, we're looking forward to the post game with uh, me and Steven. I uh, hope you guys tune in for that on Sunday. Uh, we will be ready. Steven, back uh, 100%, and hopefully uh, we will both be ready to go for that, but looking forward to it. Looking forward to the game and the post game and joining you guys in just a few days. 
You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hot